Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Women Askcast with me, your host, Tim Stillman. You may remember that about a fortnight ago, we put out an episode which was an exclusive interview with former Arsenal goalkeeper Amanda Sange about her career journey in football and, and the fact that she, uh, I think, currently still is the only, well, was, was certainly the first uh, British South Asian to represent England at any level um, in football. And I'm really grateful to uh, both of my guests, actually, for this podcast, who put me in touch with the man originally. And we're going to kind of, um, you know, take that conversation a little bit wider in this podcast and talk a little bit more broadly about uh, participation of South Asian girls in football. And this is obviously off the back of um, or at least the the contacts we had with uh, with our two guests tonight was off the back of the article we wrote on Arsenal Blog News in November about the lack of ethnic diversity both in the Arsenal Women First Team squad at the moment and English women's football more generally. And as ever with these things, there's so many different things going on, so many different communities with so many different experiences that it's never just one story; it's a real milieu. And we want to we want to continue this conversation and not just write the one piece about it and so job done so to help me uh with that conversation first i'd like to introduce miriam walker khan from sky sports miriam thanks so much for joining us thanks for having me i didn't ever think i'd be on this podcast as a women's fan but here we are (laughs) (laughs) it takes all sorts and also joining us is uh from the kickback podcast nirali sasodia Neuralia, uh, Neuralia, sorry, Neurali. No, thanks no, thank for joining you for us. Inviting. It's great to be here to just like talk about the issue. It's nice to kind of get it out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to that end, maybe why don't we kind of tee the conversation up with, um, you know, with things that you, you've both done, I guess, already to try and kind of broach this subject a little bit more and widen this discussion out. Miriam, um, you set up, um, is it an organisation called Brown Girl Sport? I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about uh, about setting that up, why you set it up and, and what Brown Girl Sport really aims to do. Um, I wish it was an organisation, Tim. It's just, it's just me sat in my bedroom. Um, however, I am hoping it will become kind of bigger than that soon. So uh, Brown Girl Sport is basically an online community platform, primarily an Instagram page, which kind of just aims to tell the stories of South Asian women in sport. So I set it up a year ago um, and a couple of weeks ago we had like a, a one-year anniversary um, at Stanford Bridge, which was like a big party panel. It was amazing. We then watched uh, an LJ hat trick at Stanford Bridge, which was great. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of just a platform. I think, to be honest, I, I kind of thought it was it was to tell stories of South Asian women when I set it up, primarily. And I think the past year has shown me that it's it's 
I would say people engage the most when it is acting as like a voice to represent the community of brown women in sport and girls in sport because I, I think we just we don't we don't have one South Asian women in general are kind of erased from so many conversations just in society um and just forgotten about I think in sport that is um it's even more it's even worse I would say in sport just because that we're kind of the least likely to do sport than any other demographic in the country um and I think because we don't have role models people just think we just don't we just don't do it at all we ignore the fact that like the best player in the world, Sam Kerr, has Indian heritage. We ignore the fact that there are so many people that are out there that we just don't know the stories of. Like, Amon was a great example. Like, I didn't know her story until I covered it at the BBC, but I had to kind of dig for it. Um, And so, yeah, it's a platform, but an online community. Yeah, and, you you know, you talk about um, heritage there, like uh, a former Arsenal player, Jimmy Carter, um, I think he was uh, at that event at Stamford Bridge and, you know, someone who played for Arsenal for, for some years and that I'm very familiar with and I think a lot of our listeners will be very familiar with, had no idea, um, you know, of his heritage or background at all, um, which was really, really, like literally until I saw that photo, I, I had no idea really, um, which I think really kind of throws a spotlight on on what you're talking about. Um Nirali, you uh, host and well, started and host the Kickback podcast. Could I ask um, what you know what the the Kickback podcast is and how that started and and kind of I, I guess your aim? Sure, with that. it was kind of um, I would like to you. It kind of just started on a bit of a whim. Um, I mean, my background is actually that I'm a I'm a clinical pharmacist. So when you when people say, "Oh, what are you doing in this space?" It's because actually what women's football gives back to people is a sense of joy, balance, happiness, great for mental health, but it's also something where you can see the the good values that you want to see in society actually being exhibited by the players. But what would happen is when I would go to a match, I'd feel this joy, but there was a pit in my stomach which would say, wait a second, why am I not seeing our country actually truly represented here on the pitch. I, these are the things I started to see. So then the more I started digging, the more I started finding out about why we're not seeing representation, what are the barriers to this representation. It really took me back to my own journey and my sister's journey. And then I, then I just, just decided to be, I just decided to start the Kickback podcast to explore those deeper questions within women's sports, such as the lack of um, equality, diversity, equity, and about um, about women's health as well, about how that's also there is a massive lack of research in that area as well and how it adversely, adversely, adversely affects women. Um, so that's what kind of inspired me and actually being able to document and then reflect my own experiences and the experience of others who I come across when I go to games was actually really interesting because I can also see the change in the attitudes, but also that some of the same barriers are still there. And so that helps me to then work with other organizations to say, well, actually, from lived experience and from research that has been documented, these are the suggested changes that we need to do because what's happening at the moment and it what well, 
when I speak to a lot of individuals and a lot of organizations is that you've got a majority population within the realm of sport telling a minority how we need to fix the problem. And that's not how we fix the problem. We need to understand and then adjust. And that's what that's what the, the podcast is all about. That's what the page is all about. That's what the journey is all about. That's really interesting. And if I just stay with you for a second, Nirali, I, th- I think, um, you know, a lot of people maybe from the outside look at women's football and and a lot of us will say quite, quite glibly, actually, that it's more inclusive. It's a more inclusive environment. And, and, and I think in many ways it probably is compared to men's football, but at the same time, certainly not a utopia. And I think when we look at the word inclusion in women's football, we have LGBT at the forefront of our minds because certainly a lot more LGBT inclusive. Um, although, again, there, there are a lot of letters at play there and they have different experiences as well. For example, the T might not definitely argue that it's a more inclusive environment but from your perspective do you feel like women's football is a is a is an inclusive environment do you feel like there's a readiness to have these conversations and and as you say to to kind of adjust I think there's two layers to that if I'm being honest with you so when I go to the so for my first match that I went to I was really really shy and once you get to know me I'm I'm not shy anymore right but um when I went to the match I did feel like as if nobody was noticing the colour of my skin or anything like that. It's just like, as long as you're an Arsenal fan, that's all that matters and that's it. But there's a second layer of that, which is, the second layer of that is, do people actually care about the issues? Do they care about the differences that other people are actually seeing? So a lot of as a lot of the times when I'm talking to organizations and I'm talking to clubs, they'll say, yeah, 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 we need to do lots of work on inclusion and diversity. Yeah, 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 we want to do this, we want to do that. Only because it ticks a box. What we really need to do is to make sure that people actually care about the issue. Now, the interesting thing is, is like, say, for example, when, I, uh, when I'm at work and I talk to my pharmacy technician, she, you know, um, her name is Sharon, she's English, white, and we talk to each other about inclusion and diversity. And one thing that really hit home for me, she goes, I will never understand what you have experienced as a brown person in this society, but I know that I can have empathy and try to understand what you've gone through. And to be honest with you, that's all we're really asking for. And we really shouldn't need to ask for it. You know, it should just be a natural thing to have a level of empathy, to understand everything that we've gone through. And if you look at the the history, colonialism, everything like that, the reason, the, the, the different barriers that we have, the reasons why we've gone into the different job sectors that we have, it goes back, goes back millennia, goes back decades, like all the way down to the root. And that's the thing that people don't understand because they've not been through it. But when you talk to somebody whose ancestors have been through the things that we have, you then start to have an understanding and appreciation. And this is the thing that actually I think about when I do go to games, it's really, really weird to go from really enjoying a game and then being like, I am actually one of the only brown people. 
And actually what I've done, because obviously I'm part of the Arsenal fan community, is I've, I've started a WhatsApp group to say, hey, if there's anybody who's of an ethnic diverse background who would like to just have a chat in this WhatsApp group, everybody's welcome, whether you're from an ethnic diverse background or not, and you just want to understand, come and join the group. Let's have open conversations. And actually it's amazing these conversations that come out when you bring everybody together and they talk about their experiences about going to their games or how they have this constant battle between uh, growing up and living in the UK, but also trying to marry that with their culture of being of being Indian or being being brown, being South Asian. You know, however they identify, it's that marrying of the cultures that always brings some kind of um, some kind of conflict almost. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Miriam, I wonder if I could ask you, um, if you don't mind, like, I guess just your experience participating in sport, be it football or any other sport, um, you know, both when you were younger and now, like, did you feel like you came up against some of these barriers? And, and if so, what those barriers might have been or continue to be? Yeah, I should have, I should have asked at the start of this, can you you can't see what we're doing, right? This isn't, is this going anywhere? No, uh, n- audio, uh, purely audio. <laughs> because I just was eating my salmon, sorry. Uh, that, that's fine. No, we don't use the video, don't worry. <laughs> um, so I I grew up in Sheffield. I'm mixed race. So my dad's Pakistani. He came to the UK to Sheffield when he was 10. My mum is like the most Sheffield woman you'll ever meet. And uh, my dad worked for Sheffield United. He was a scout, and um, from being maybe like four or five, he used to go to Bramwell Lane with him on um, just not most weekends, but whenever there was a game at home, and I was staying at his house because my parents were divorced, I'd be at a game with my dad, and I hated it. It was like the first place I kind of heard racism towards him, and. Um, it was weird because I love football and I and growing up I knew that I loved football but I kind of just boycotted it because I was like this is not for me like some people can deal with like hearing racism at football games I'm just like it'll it'll piss me off I don't really know why I need to be here when there's other things I could do or other sports I could be involved in and then um, when I was 10 I started athletics and that just took over my life for 12 13 years and even in athletics like there are no, or, or for me growing up, there were no South Asian people in athletics apart from my brothers and like one guy from Leeds that we knew. I, I honestly didn't see anyone else. And I remember once like my, um, my coach, a, co- a coach at the athletics track said that I was quick for a skinny Asian girl. And I didn't really like think anything of that for years until maybe a year ago when I set up Wrangler Sport and I was like, why does he think that I'm fast despite being Asian? Like, what is it that's there in his head? And of course, it's like unconscious bias that exists and is rife within football. People think that if you're Asian, you just, you're skinny, you eat too much curry so you don't have the diet for the game. Like, well, you know, your family don't want you to do sport. Um, all these ridiculous myths that just don't exist anymore to the extent that people truly believe them to. Um, and so, yeah, I, I had quite a weird relationship with sport and didn't really think much of it in terms of like my own ethnicity until I grew up and I started, and now I'm a journalist, I'm a, a DNI reporter at Sky Sports News and 
I'm so conscious, like hyper conscious of my ethnicity, the ethnicity of others, like the industry that we work in. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was it was weird for me, I think, growing up. It was this weird passion and love, but also, you know, I, I, I played football a bit at school. My school team got to like the English school semifinals, but I was not a good footballer. Like I, the team was brilliant. I was not. And so I never really like... I guess I never really had the experiences that someone like Ammon would have, but I think I had really similar experiences within athletics. Yeah, and that's really interesting as well that you talk about, I guess, being profiled a little bit um, by a coach because I think the conversation is relatively mainstream now about how we talk about black athletes in particular, but I know for a fact that nobody ever said to me when I was younger and playing football like, um, I mean, I wasn't a very powerful player, but, you know, you're quite powerful for a white player. Like nobody would characterize or attribute my attributes or my lack of attributes to to my race whatsoever. And like I, I even remember when I was growing up, like Ron Nodes, who was the Crystal Palace chairman, made some comments about black players not being able to play in the winter and things like that, which just seems preposterous now but it doesn't feel like this conversation about asian athletes being profiled um is is really out there and nirali i wondered whether that tallies with your experience both as a as a fan of sport participating in sport like you know some i I guess when we talk about barriers i think a lot of people from the outside would say oh um the focus in south asian families is much more on academics much more on education not so much on sport that's why it happens maybe it's slightly different in a sport like cricket like is there any truth in that and and i guess yeah just to kind of um call on your experience um both as both as a fan and participating in sport sorry so Everybody's story is different. So my story and Miriam's story is going to be different. My story and Omar's story is going to be different. Every single South South Asian person that you speak to, all of their experiences are going to be different. My experience, I would say, is is one where I was really into football. I was on the girls' football team. I was on the cricket team. I was on the rounders team. You know, we were the we were the inter-school champions for rounders and everything like that. So I was really, really heavily into sport. And then as soon as I hit puberty, it was the conversation was now you've got to focus on your studies. You have to focus on um, making sure you have a stable job at the end of your studies. Because if you think about it, and I can understand this is this is this is the thing. You have to understand why parents say these things. Right. My dad comes from Kenya. My mom comes from India. Right. When they're getting when they were getting settled here, they had nothing. Right. At one point, we didn't even have a home. Right. We're starting from scratch, starting from nothing. So when you you don't want your children to go through what you've gone through. So making sure that your children have got a stable job when, when they're in education and thinking about the future. Right. That's what you want for your children. So I don't blame my mom. Like I, I don't blame my parents for it or anything like that. And in fact, I was speaking to my mom the other day. She goes, you had so much aptitude as um, as somebody who could go far in sports, but I had no idea how to get you into that. We had no idea about the talent pathway. We had no idea where these spaces were to take you so that you could actually thrive in these areas. That information wasn't available at, at that point in time. 
I used to go to football matches with my dad. My dad is the one who took me to my very first football match. Still remember Filbert Street, Leicester City, shouting Blue Army, walking out as a mascot, everything like that. Really, really nice experiences. And then I put I put a sport to the side and I became a clinical pharmacist. And I love my job. But the but the whole issue with the discrimination and race doesn't is is not just obviously in football, like Miriam said before. It is everywhere. My patients say it as to, to me as well. My patients will say, I'm glad I've got a brown pharmacist because you guys have had to work really hard to get to where you are. Another one will say to me, oh, you you don't, you don't speak really good English. I'm like, thanks, I was born and brought up here. The assumption that because of your skin color, you can't speak proper English. There's this whole thing about accent bias as well that also occurs. And even though I don't even have an accent, I still get accent bias. <laughs> so it's, 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 also a weird, it's also a weird one to have. And <clears throat> when you're looking at things like, um, the fan base, for example, I was having a really interesting conversation um, with one of the Arsenal women supporters, uh, club members, and um, you know we were talking about intersectionality, and, and we were talking about um, the different the different layers. So I said, you know, if you're young, if you're brown, if you're queer, and you're a girl, those are four different four different barriers that you essentially have working against you and um you know the, the person who i was speaking with who who was who was white but who was gay was like oh do you know what i i can understand as a gay person how you would have those barriers but as a brown person i wouldn't be able to sort of understand where you're coming from and it's something that we need to do more more work on so they acknowledge it but again it's about do you really want to do something about it miriam you wanted to come in on that yeah just something that you said, Nirali, I think is so important. We're, we're not a monolith, right? The community, the South Asian community. I mean, first of all, South Asia makes up 25% of the world. On top of that, the diaspora is about 40, 45 million people. Um, obviously, we're talking about British South Asians, but there are so many intersections and differences between those different communities. We're talking race, religion, um, we're, not not race okay I'll start again um in terms of religion class socioeconomic differences which are, are huge um gender there are so many things that make brown people different and that all plays a massive part in football whether you're a fan whether you're a player um i have been working on a documentary about this for a year and we've learned some really interesting things um and i think the first of all the the like Nirali said, our experiences are totally different. Like my my dad probably would have wanted me to play football because it was his life. Like he drives around Virginia where he lives now with a Chef UTD license plate. Um, <laughs> and like that, that's so different to Nirali's experience, right? Like my mum grew up doing sport and because I'm mixed heritage and I have a white parent where people probably listen to her more, I have a lot of privilege there. I also think there is this crazy myth that like cricket is as big as football in South Asian communities it's absolutely not the stats show us that it's not and I think that is most people that you ask that don't know much about it or haven't done any research would say that but also just yeah this the stereotypes that we know still exist like for me hearing that comment from a coach was you know 10-15 years ago and even now like 
so many people genuinely believe that like South Asian bodies are different and weaker. All you have to do is look at like javelin. Javelin is dominated right now and other throwing events by South Asian people. And they're like the epitome of physical strength, right? So I just think like there's not enough conversations. Hopefully we'll have these in our document. We definitely will in in the documentary I'm doing. But like we need to talk about how ridiculous these myths are and like reframe the conversations and almost be like, look, ignore everything you've ever been told. Like this is a fact. Like that's a stereotype. It's a myth and it's harmful. This is like a scientific fact. Yeah, that's that's really really interesting, and and Nirali as well. What you were talking about there about I, I guess um, displacement um, in terms of you know emigrating to another country and not knowing you know you, you wouldn't necessarily know things like where's the local is there a local girls football club because there's no guarantee that there will be where is it how do I get there do I have connections with other parents the word of mouth kind of networks that that often get you into these things I think that's that's really really interesting as well and and what you say about you know um parents background and everything you know I my my mother-in-law um dearly departed now um in Brazil grew up very 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 poor and she was a workaholic even when she was comfortable financially she wouldn't stop working and that's kind of because I guess that fear of losing it right so you can kind of see a lot of those roots in that and I, and I think that's that's just like so interesting and um, you know in, in this kind of discussion I, I guess to move the discussion on a bit do you feel like you know in, in terms of the coverage of women's sport at the moment because in terms of participation, like you say, there's a lot of different threads going on here and just gender, girls, that's like been an issue and remains an issue like girls' participation in sport and in football. But, you know, I'm, I'm reading all this stuff, how off the back of the Lionesses winning the Euros, you know, girls' PE looks better. There's like a, you know, a big kind of, um, maybe explosions overstating it, but a rise in interest in participating in these sports. I'm seeing, you know, uh, sports I, I, I'm not particularly interested in, but like rugby and netball and uh, women's cricket, all getting much more of a profile now. And, and maybe it's too early to say off the back of something like the Euros and the Lionesses, but do you feel like that's translating into British South Asian girls participation um, at all? I think that it is. Um, I've seen it more when I'm going to events. I see a lot more, um, you know, a lot more South Asian people actually coming to these events. I see them coming with their parents, which is so nice to see. I can see it slowly changing. It's a gradual change. And any, I always say this, any real change is slow and steady and gradual. And it means that it will be permanent. And that's what we, that's what we want to see. But what we really need to see on top of that is we actually need to see the representation in the media. Like we're so lucky we get the likes of Miriam, we get the likes of um, uh, we get the likes of uh, uh, Karen G. Baines, um, we, we get uh, Molly and Kimita, we get we get we get a few presenters, right? We want to see more of that. We want to see even when you're taking photos of fans. I think I don't. I'm an Arsenal fan, but I've got to say. Um, Chelsea does this actually quite well. When they're taking photos of, of, of the crowd, you can see the crowd is actually looking very diverse. And when you look at the photos of fans, you don't see a lot of diversity in the in, in like, for example, the Arsenal photos or, or anything like that. And, and those are the things that I look at. I'm like, have they changed the way that they look through the lens? 
That's a really important question. Are we changing the way that we're looking through the lens? Are we changing the way that we're actually reporting on things? Are we changing? Are we changing like the type, the types of presenters that we have? Even when you look at the the behind the scenes, like the influencers and everything like that, majority of them are of white background. I still haven't seen a South Asian, uh, like you know, content creator, um, um, uh, you know, behind the scenes type of thing. The closest I think that I've seen, in, you know, in in my algorithms, let's say. Is Kaljit, but she's actually but Kaljit Atwal. She's she's a freestyler, and I love her stuff. She's absolutely fantastic. I would love for her to get more attention. Like Kaljit has got incredible skills, and I and I and I hope she continues to get the attention that she gets, and she really deserves it for the hard work that she puts in. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry. And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Yeah, absolutely. And and you kind of preempted my next question, which was going to be for Miriam about, about the media and what the media looks like. We did an episode, I don't know, three or four years ago, um, but focused. Um, and, I, and I spoke to uh, Natasha Henry, Anne-Marie Batson and Pippa Monique. But we, we, we focused very much on that episode on black uh, female representation in in sports media and women's sports media and you know talking about how uh, you know press boxes for example still look pretty white behind the camera still looks pretty white um, you know coming up to these events and Miriam particularly in your role and in dealing specifically with diversity and inclusion I, I wondered first of all I guess your impressions and experiences in the media but I think I said to you before we set this podcast up, I used to work in diversity and inclusion myself, and I realized that even that phrase, 
brings a lot of resistance in people because of what they think it is. And they start thinking, oh, it's quotas, isn't it? It's positive discrimination. And, oh, it's like a bit fluffy and, and meaningless. And, you know, actually just pushing back against that. Um, I, I certainly found very quite difficult at times, quite challenging. What, what have your experiences both been in the media, but also, you know, when you say to people, I'm the diversity and inclusion reporter for Sky Sports, do you experience that kind of, I guess, eye roll effect? Yeah, I think it depends who it is. Obviously, there are those people who think my job's brilliant. I personally think it's the best job in the world, just because it's the kind of stuff that I'm interested in anyway. Like, I think away from the day-to-day football news is is where I want to be. That's where I want to be telling stories. Um, but yeah, like I think, you know, I'd be lying if I pretended it was fine. Like I've had some horrific experiences doing this job for um, nearly 10 years now. And, you know, three three of those were at uni when I, when I was, a, four of those were at uni when I was a student. But um, I think the media probably isn't a, a comfortable space if you're a woman of colour, like Pippa, Natasha, and who else was it? Anne-Marie Batson. Yeah, they they will all know, like, it's it's not a great space. Um, if you're a woman of colour, I think people wait for you to trip up. I think I've seen my friends experience some horrific things recently. Um I think we're constantly questioned, like we're constantly told we're just there to tick a box. Um, And like, I know that, you know, I shouldn't even have to say this, but I worked so, so hard, like for free for years. Like I sofa surfed, I did ridiculous amounts of work work at like high, high levels, you know, especially in athletics. And um, I know that I deserve to be in the job I'm in. However, I'm like crippled with imposter syndrome all the time and it takes a toll on your mental health and it's exhausting. Um, But it's, you know, is it getting better? Probably. But at the same time, I think the more, I don't want to say his name, but like the more we see of certain people online and like people who question why we're there, especially women of color, I think the worse it gets, it kind of feels like Brexit where it's like the rise of the far right. It feels like that's happening at the moment. And people need to just like step back and understand like the, the how harmful that can be. Um, not just not just like for people who are having to deal with it, but just for what it does to our mental health and like our sense of kind of being and belonging in these spaces because these are things that like a lot of white people don't have to deal with right like you're not constantly questioned and it is exhausting and I think I'm lucky that on top of the work I do I also get to do other bits of work that are you know a bit more lighthearted, which kind of saves my mental health to be honest but um yeah I also see a therapist so (laughs) like does it I don't know so yeah I think I'm not gonna lie like there were times where there are a lot of times where I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing this job. I I, I hate the industry and um, I don't know how much longer I can do it. For Miriam, I hope you know, like, you know, the, the event that you did, like, that's the reason why you're in this. You, you brought everybody together as a singular person who had an idea 
you've brought everybody who cares about this topic, who wants to make a change, you've brought them all together and you've given them a platform for which they can they can they can they can do that. And the fact that you've done that is absolutely phenomenal. So like I get I get the whole imposter syndrome thing, but everything that you've achieved to date just shows that you're not an imposter. Like you've done absolutely incredible and you're an inspiration to so many people and those little girls who are going to be like learning about this in their journalism, you know, uh, curriculum and all that, they they will have you to look up to for creating a space where they can actually be you. That's really kind. And like, it's, it's so hard because hearing stuff like that is the reason that I'm, I'm still in this job, right? But if, if it wasn't for that in the back of my mind I know you, you're being very kind but if it wasn't for that um I'd have quit years ago because I just can't be asked <laughs> I don't have the energy to deal with like racist people every day but yeah yeah and really like hopefully a generation comes through that doesn't have to organize events and bring people together and things like that and can just have like a frictionless career experience without taking all of that on. Um, and, you know, I really appreciate that you've both done this podcast and I know it's difficult as well, like to lay your soul bare all of the time and, and, you know, and, and, and talk about these experiences. I know that's, that's exhausting as well. Um, I, I wanted to kind of end on, uh, and, and again, Narali, you really segued quite nicely there into, I guess, the importance of, of role models because, you know, I think you guys are, like I said, that's that's kind of exhausting and that's a big toll to put on someone. Um, but, you know, hopefully being role models so that the next generation doesn't have to be role models, if you know what I mean. I wondered, um, Nirali, you know, who were your role models really kind of growing up and getting into this sport? Like, did you have any, did you, did you have any of that kind of visibility? And, and like you say, you go to, I mean, I saw you literally at the Arsenal game yesterday. So like, to some extent you've stuck it out. Right. So, you know, like keeping on going, um, despite the, the, the kind of barriers and the lack of representation and not seeing people like, um, you know, like, like yourselves around, like what, who, 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 and what was really your kind of your inspiration? I'll for be that? honest. There weren't any sporting role models uh, growing up for me. I remember being in year seven, I think it was, and that's when Mendy like Beckham came out. And because I played football so much, they everybody at school would just call me Jesse because that was that was the standard thing you'd say to any Asian girl. <laughs> Jesse, so that's as close as we kind of ever got to a role model. But I think in terms of the values, right, this is the one reason why I actually stuck with women's football is because of the values. And what I mean by that is when I see the conduct that these lionesses have, that the Arsenal women's players have, it shows that they're trying to put some good values into society. So all these little girls and boys know that they need to be just good people, have good values. And that's what I grew up with. And if it wasn't for my mom or for my sister, both of those are my role models. They're the ones who have always told me, if you've got a passion for something, stick it out, go for it, do it. Because when you, whenever you've got a pure intention, you are sure to succeed. 
And the values that I grew up with are, 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 are five values, literally five values that you always constantly should put out into society. So every time I look at my hand, you remember them five values, love, peace, truth, right conduct and nonviolence. That's it. That's all we really are asking for, for society to exhibit all of those, all of those five values, you know, and I think that's why I've stuck it out for so long because that's what I, that's what I see in the Arsenal women, for example, when I see their conduct, their character, I'm like, actually, that's what we want to see in society. The fact that they speak about the lack of, of, of diversity is one thing. Doing something about it is another thing. And now what we need to see and now what needs to happen is action. That's what we need. We need action. We need people to really care about it. And it doesn't matter um, what your background is, what ethnicity you are, what race you are. If you care about another human being, it does not matter what your race is. We all bleed red, right? So we just need to be empathetic, have understanding, and just care about each other. That's literally it. That's as simple as it should be. And we complicate it with all of these Things that we and with all these things that we see, all we're really asking for is everybody is for if you want to be treated one way, you want to be treated the same as everybody else. That's it. It's not it's not hard. Absolutely, and honestly, I think that's a that's a wonderful manifesto on which to finish um, this podcast. I think that's a, that's that's a really simple and effective mission statement um really because like you say you you can go around the houses with these conversations sometimes you need to a little bit but i i think you're right it comes down to values um at the end of the day and i think you've you've really outlined them really well so um miriam thanks so much for joining us today really appreciate that thanks for having me uh can i just say who if i had a to name a role model sure. one of them would be Lotta Wobbenmoy because I because I don't think a lot of people care about this stuff and I think Lotta goes out of her way to talk about it not only when she's asked but just off her own back and not enough people do that and my role models are always people who will stand up for what's right and and she's a really great example of that and you know I hope she stays in the England setup for a long time probably because of that I think Lotta Wobbenmoy love is an even better way to finish this podcast. Um, and <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure to tell her you said that as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, t- seriously, I, I, I think absolutely. And as much as I, I certainly feel that, um, you know, every time just on an Arsenal level, the kind of lack of ethnic diversity is brought up, I admit I feel that like, that sense of, I don't know if shame is the right word, but I hate that Arsenal is being associated with that at the moment because that's it's not the club I think I know. And so Lotta, someone like Lotta at the club, I think is, is a brilliant ambassador and like you say, a brilliant role model as someone who wants to actively do something and not just pay lip service to it. So absolutely, a um, whole lot of love for Lotta there and rightly so. Um, I think we'll end the conversation there. Um, And that's all we have time for this week. I hope that you really enjoyed and got as much out of that conversation as I did. And a big thanks again to Nirali and Miriam, um, not least because they were really the progenitors of this podcast. They got in contact with me 
um, to set this up. And, and I'm really, really grateful they did because it's just such a great conversation. It's one we want to continue to have uh, on our site and on this podcast because it's really, really important. And I think we have a responsibility to do that. So thanks to you both. And um, we'll have you, I'm sure we'll have you both on the podcast again soon. Maybe not talking about this subject, maybe just, you know, talking about football. Um, you know, imagine that. So many thanks Thank to you, you both. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank thanks you. Thanks for having us. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.